Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I see it. You've you've switched your your Zoom screen around, so uh, I'm getting a nice view of your bookshelves now. And it's, oh yeah, uh, this it's is just what... reminding me that I don't read, so that's nice. You're just guilt tripping me automatically, you know. Dude, half these books on the shelf, I haven't read them. What what is that? Atlas Shrugged? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. You going Randian on me? Oh wow, that's really d- <laughs> well played, my guy. Well played. Well played. No, no, no. No, no, no. no, no, no I no. see some I mean, Faulkner, that's... some Poe. Yeah, yeah. Nice stuff. Yeah, it's that. I mean, you have no room to talk. I looked in your, like, in the background of your books, and it was just, like, Naked Lunch, and then, like, Bukowski, and <laughs> yeah. I don't know, some other stuff that I won't get into. <laughs> that is accurate. It's yep. true. Oof. <laughs> oh, it's there's dark. a big, like, H.P. Lovecraft collection there. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that guy how how are we supposed to feel when like there's this great imagination that's completely fueled by just like the most vitriolic racism like what are you supposed to do with that i don't know i don't know uh it just it just makes me feel uncomfortable i mean how could it not right like and even like as a person of color i'm like man i really like this person oh wait i'm not sure how i feel about this right Oh, oh, I see. They just mm. have, like, an insane worldview that totally invalidates me for no yeah. reason. Yeah, it's like, oh, you wouldn't right. want me to read your stories. Okay. Right. Oh, you also yeah. don't think I'm capable of reading. All right. Yeah. Great. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, it's weird what stuff. What are you reading right now, though? Anything good? Anything good? Um. So I've got a little book club uh, going on with yeah. a mutual friend of ours, and nice. he and I are reading, um, well, actually, <laughs> we've had... 
dueling books or essentially dueling paces is that's what really is happening. I selected mm. a book at the mm-hmm. outset. I picked a Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon. Nice. I worked through it. It's a great book, great read. I think I might have told you about it a little bit. Like it were, the first half kind of reminded me of like a Coen Brothers film. And the last half is, is great as well. The whole book is fantastic. Yeah. I got through it at a, a pretty decent pace. Our friend took a little while to get through it. Like, took a little, a little oh, bit see. longer to get through it. And so I see then, the book club dynamic that's forming here. And then we picked a second book, and then like I just returned the favor. So I'm like still working my way through uh, Colson Whitehead's Nickel Boys, which oh, yeah. really, really, really good book. Nice. It's the subject matter is tough. Yeah. yeah, it's about you know a his, reform his school. Bread and butter, right? It is. It's a reform school set in the South, um, and so yeah, it's just nothing but. I'm trying to think of what it feels like. It feels a little bit like um, hmm. It blank. I just lost it. Yeah. Oh, it's all good. Completely lost it. I'm still reading Beloved. I. Uh, I oh I'm yeah. Not actually still reading it. I. I fell off a while ago. Just you know, got busy and shit, but. Dude, that's yeah. like one of the best books I've ever read. It's she's, so fucking good. She's fantastic, right? Oh man, yeah. It's it's amazing. It's just ugh. the way that um she can just fractalize a narrative into these images and emotions and it's all kind of jumbled up without context and yet you're just like you feel every bit of it as it's mm-hmm. going along and like this picture is just slowly coming into focus of what's happening mm-hmm. uh, have you read that one i've not even i've no that's the one like every uh, that's her biggest work and i've still not yeah, read that it's so good man it's a it's a ghost story is what yes it is, it is. I, I know yeah. that i know that much yeah. about it yeah i think it helps knowing that going in because yeah. otherwise you really would be like what the fuck what is, is going, going on, on here mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's so abstract in the reality of it that when something surreal happens, you're like, wait, is this what just happened? To be? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I could see it's, that. It's so cool, though. Ugh. Um, So I started watching two shows. Nice. One of which is The Righteous Gemstones. Oh, a friend yeah. of mine. Yeah, a friend of mine recommended that I watch it. And I watched the first three episodes and I'm like, nice. I'm into this. And I didn't, I watched some of Vice Principles, but never got all the way through it. That one seemed like, that's when they went really dark and aggressive with the tone. And mm-hmm. I feel like Righteous Gemstones was like them sort of recalibrating just a little okay. bit. Because okay. it's like so much of the same cast. Yeah. 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 Good show. Pretty fun. I know. I need to start it. I've yeah. been recommended it so many times. And the other show is Outer Range. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were telling Did me I tell just you about a little that? about that. And then I saw a trailer for it that looked really good. Yeah, the cinematography, the, yeah, that all is on point. I, the acting, pretty decent. Brolin's good. It's got um, your favorite actress, Imogen Poots. Oh, yeah, Poots. Yeah, Poots is <laughs> I in just it. like saying her name. I know. <laughs> yeah, she's in it. She's great. And, um, yeah, I don't really know where it's going, I might not follow it all the way through, but it, it's at least enjoyable for the time being. I was surprised by, from the trailer, how much of like a a cult community vibe there was going on. It almost felt like a Twin Peaks thing. Yeah, I it's it was got more a little bit of, kind of Him like out in a frontier, isolated and stuff. But it seems mm-hmm. like there's there's a whole yeah 
town that's got like intrigue to it, huh? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. I uh, I started watching that Netflix animated show uh, Arcane. Did you hear? Oh about yeah, that? that was pretty big. About what, like two, three months ago? It was. It's yeah. like the League of Legends, kind of like. Yeah, it's based on like a mobile game, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the animation's incredible, though, dude. It's like mm-hmm. a really cool blend of um it's not even like cell shaded it's all 3d animation but the way that the textures are layered gives it Mm -hmm. this really cool look it um it to me feels like the best example i've seen of essentially taking like the style of a graphic novel like an image graphic Mm -hmm. novel or you know uh vertigo or someone like that like taking that art style and just making it animated fluid and and Mm -hmm. movement yeah are we doing this? Yeah, we should probably get into this two and a half hours later. Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm so sorry. So sorry. <sighs> it's been wild. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. It's been a while. It's been a it's, while, right? It's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. Yeah. Aaron Lewis over here. Uh, no, the, mm, mm-hmm. This is the this, real fucking deal, y'all. <laughs> You remember that? You remember that uh, music vaguely, video? I do. It's the oh, guy man. from Stained. Yes. He had Fred Durst oh, just sitting no. there on a microphone oh, just being oh. like a hype man. God. Man. You but just not with like... even like rhythm. He was just hype manning in the sense of being like, he's just making comments. Oh, wow. yeah. He's just interrupting briefly. <laughs> right. And exactly. then like popping back out. Yeah. 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 Oh, my God. All right. Oh, oof. Uh, it's anyway. Friday. Um, Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television, their most memorable episodes, and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host, recently received his AARP card, another year around the sun, Mr. Alex Sinesi. Happy belated, dude. I gotcha. I gotcha. Fucker. Blech. How's it feel being fifty-five? You know, it it feels it feels fine. I I mean, yeah. just I was always expecting like when I when I get to this particular stage of decrepitude, you know, the planet would be burning, mm-hmm. the future would just be like a, a dwindling gleam in humanity's eye, and uh, you know, so I mean, that's where we are, and I'm 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 happy to have reached that point. <laughs> You're like, I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> So today we are talking about another four episodes of Cowboy Bebop. The, I would actually say it includes two of my favorite episodes. Yes. Um, I have like a, I think I have a select few that are my favorite, but they stand out to me. And we'll get to them in just a second. Are, are you referring to the two parts of Jupiter Jazz? Uh, yes, absolutely. How could you not? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, they really form like a centerpiece of this particular session. It's like... Oh, yeah, this is the Jupiter Jazz session. And it's only emphasized by the fact that the episodes on either side of it are like weird, chill kind of hangout episodes with very low stakes comparatively. We didn't talk about origins of like American anime and specifically with this show, like how it came over in the U.S. and then kind of exploding through, you know, various channels like Adult Swim or like Toonami and things like that. I had already lamented how 
anime DVDs were so incredibly expensive in the late 90s, early 2000s, and how you really had to invest yourself ahead of time. You had to go read some anime magazines and do your research and figure out which show was going to be the one you were going <laughs> to invest all of your allowance in or whatever. And then Cowboy Bebop, shortly after it had all been released on DVD, I think within just a few months of the series premiering on physical media, it started airing on Adult Swim. September 2nd, 2001. As we said before, you know, yeah. the proximity to 9-11 meant that they had to cut episodes during the original airing. But uh, this show was there on the ground floor of Adult Swim. Like the very first night that Adult Swim premiered, Cowboy Bebop was one of the shows. And I feel like for that first year of Adult Swim, it was maybe like the centerpiece of, mm. of the whole thing mm. you know you had original shows that were starting to break out like aqua teen hunger force and sea lab and space ghost had been around but like yeah. cowboy bebop i feel like was what made adult swim appointment television for that first season and yeah. then the second season they got the license to family guy which had been off the air, which hadn't come back yet. And that's why Adult Swim exploded. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it became like okay. number one in its demographic in that wow. time slot. But uh, I was reading up on Adult Swim a little bit. Um, I kind of knew how it had evolved somewhat organically out of Toonami and specifically the Toonami Midnight Run. Uh, Toonami was anime and American sort of action-based cartoons that would play later in the day. Uh, it was already like a pretty just stacked block. You had Dragon Ball Z, you had Gundam oh, yeah. Wing, you had Batman the Animated Series. I think you had oh, yeah. I think you had all the DC animated shows. But then they created a thing called Midnight Run, which featured uncut episodes of Gundam Wing and semi-uncut episodes of Dragon Ball Z. They still could never show that show like uncensored because there are like random penises in it and things. <laughs> what are you serious no there really are like dragon what? ball Z, yeah dragon ball it's, it's you're really wild wilding wild wild. out here oh my god i'm taken aback i feel scandalized by that <laughs> dragon ball z also was like insanely violent even though it was also yeah. for 10 year olds like yeah you watch mm -hmm. the uncut ones and people are like vomiting up geysers of blood, blood? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but also yeah. there are scenes in it that are clearly like gohan playing with dinosaurs and it's like this is for five-year-olds you know this makes no sense so strange yeah uh -huh. somehow with japanese tv it's like all of these things just make sense together you know <laughs> you gotta expose children to this stuff right away <laughs> clearly let the children see it. So, yeah, so they had the Midnight Run, and that was big. And then Adult Swim was sort of created out of that, but it was also just this concept that this guy, Mike Lazo, had had for a while. He was the creator of Space Ghost Coast to Coast, which was the first original show that Cartoon mm -hmm. Network had, which I didn't realize either. Basically what happened was um, they were just like a repository for Hanna-Barbera cartoons. That was the really? main thing for the longest time. They okay. bought the licenses to those super cheap. And he was like, we have no money to make an original show. And the way he got around it was he borrowed money from the marketing budget to create Space Ghost, which was literally made of cut and paste 
animation cells <laughs> from other Hanna-Barbera cartoons. Mm-hmm. Just kind of brilliant. And he, he made it as this talk show. So like the animation he needed was limited. Um, that sense of humor stuck and resonated. And he was like, if we get a few other things like this together mm-hmm. and like one anime in Cowboy Bebop, we could create a block for a late night. Yep. And they premiered it just on Sundays. It was only one night a week. And it was so successful. I mean, it's seven nights a week now. It's just yeah. really taken over Cartoon Network. And they have huge original shows on there. Like, I mean, Rick and Morty, that's, you know. Rick and Morty. Uh, was Boondocks it. part of? I believe Boondocks was yeah, produced. I think it was. It's just, it's it's a really, you know, odd thing. Uh, I mean, Adult Swim has such a particular uh, sense of comedy. But yeah, that was the environment into which Cowboy Bebop was launched. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that I ever saw it, and I was immediately obsessed with it. And, uh, you know, it was getting it in those you know, morphine drips week to week. And yeah. this is such a good show to watch week to week because it's so standalone. And then when mm-hmm. the pieces of mythology come into it, like in Jupiter Jazz, it's so exciting and tantalizing and it always leaves you on a cliffhanger it does make you feel like you're watching something important with jupiter jazz and uh, both parts one and two like the other two episodes they're great but yeah jupiter jazz feels like it's like oh this is building upon stuff that i've seen before or just has been like mentioned or hinted at and like i feel like i'm seeing like the results or like the the flow from these like earlier events that maybe i didn't get the chance to witness Yeah, I was so immediately struck by how effective this mode of storytelling is. And it's something that has really kind of fallen off, in my opinion, more recently with the advent of like streaming storytelling modes where, you know, you have these completely serialized narratives where it's just like constantly trying to like slowly build the characters up, give you just a little bit of plot and, you know, tease so much about their backstory in every single episode. Whereas here, doing the standalone thing, it's it's very X-Files. You know, you do your your bounty of the week and then you have a mythology episode. And I you just forget how exciting it is when you get back to the series mythology, when you get back to what's driving these characters and when the stakes are like really raised for them. The standalone episodes also benefit from not having that constant weight of stakes upon them. And then when you get it, it's it's so invigorating again. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I miss that. I really do. Because, I mean, like the opposite example is something I want to talk about today. We, oh, we, no. we got to get it out of the way. We just, do we have to? Let's just do it to get it out of the way. That's, okay. That's all right. I, wanna... I know where you want to go okay. with this. Let's just do it. Okay. Is a show that did not use this storytelling method at all the live action Netflix Cowboy Bebop, which I have seen all 10 episodes of. Oh, you did. For your oh, sins, you, listeners. Poor, you poor soul. I watched the entire fucking thing. I felt like I had to. I, I really felt an obligation, not even just to the podcast, but to the original show and to just having seen the whole thing before I really, really could uh, formulate an honest opinion on it, you know? <sighs> I mean, I think that that's fair, and I appreciate your like your reasoning behind that. You wanted to do it due diligence, and you know that's that's honorable of you. That's very honorable. 
I chose I, to not do that. I um, respect that decision immensely as well because <laughs> it is not worth it. It is, it is not, not worth it. I saw the first it. episode oh. and I was like, dude, no way. Cash me out right now. It's a really hard watch. It and is. Honestly, the first episode is probably one of the better ones of this Really? Season. That's yeah. disappointing because I hated that first episode. Right, right. Yeah. Same. But it, oh, it goes man. downhill from there. It gets a lot slower. There are some incredibly boring episodes. And the finale is probably the worst one. I mean, Ugh. the finale ends on such a sour note that you're immediately like, well, this whole thing was a mistake. So, all right, th- this is interesting because I watched yeah. the first episode and came away from it thinking, this doesn't feel like it is a prequel and it doesn't feel, it's clearly not a sequel. Like it's a reboot, almost a retelling of Cowboy Bebop. Does that the, make sense? The creators refer to it as a remix, which is obnoxious, but also mm-hmm. I kind of get where they're coming from just in that like for example the first episode is a remake of asteroid of the pilot yep Mm -hmm. but it's also filled with a bunch of strange differences new creative decisions that change that episode and make it less impactful Mm -hmm. and what i was immediately struck by in that approach is that basically so they're not giving us new adventures with mm-hmm. the characters we know in a live action retelling. And they're also not faithfully remaking the original show. Yep. So essentially they're doing the worst of both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're remaking the episodes too much, but also not enough. You not know? enough. Exactly. Yeah. So strange. I and I remember hearing that they were doing a that they were either going to do a movie or a series with Keanu Reeves attached. His and was this was be like a movie. Back, it yeah. was a movie. Okay, yeah, and I remember hearing about that and like I was probably in graduate school at the time yeah. and it never happened if I remember. Yeah, yeah it, was it like never came to fruition. something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And he he even said he was like the budget for this thing we could not get it down. Like it would have cost half a billion dollars to make this movie. It, it wow. was, just would have been so expensive and Wow. It was also a really rough time for him. I mean, that was like the 47 Ronin time. Oh. That was his absolute nadir where I think no one thought he was coming back. Okay. But imagine this. Yeah. Imagine that they put half a bill (laughs) into a Cowboy Bebop series starring Keanu Reeves as Spike and Larry Fishburne as Jet Black. Oh, it's such a good pitch. It's such come a good on, pitch. come oh, on! You I know, know that the both of the like, come on. That's irresistible. Yeah, yeah. Right? That would be mm-hmm. fucking awesome. It would be amazing. Uh, I love that pitch. I really do. Fishburn would be so awesome. Too, I know. Uh, especially like Hannibal era, because it's like he's burly, but he could still like move pretty well, mm-hmm. and he's mm-hmm. just such a good fucking actor too. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> God. <laughs> yeah. Instead, we got this. Oh boy. Yeah. And as we as we said in the last episode, I think Mustafa Shakir's really good. Um, yeah. I think John Cho is just not at all right for the part. I'm sorry to say, I like him as an actor, but I do too. From the moment he shows up on screen, he's just so 
palpably wrong. And what I realized really quickly is that they basically took the sort of visual designs of these characters and then made completely new characters. In the I case agree of with Kim that. Well, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Not really the characters from the anime at all. They're not any sort of an adaptation of them. Mm-hmm. They're just brand new people who mm-hmm. are wearing the costumes the same costume. of the characters we know. Yeah. The thing that killed me with uh, Cho, and again, I like John Cho. I think he's a great actor. I wonder what was being done in the background. Like, how much of this is his decision to bring a certain persona, a new persona on screen versus what the director or the creators had in mind? But it did strike me that, like, oh, he's not even attempting to be anything close to what Spike Spiegel is, who he is. Like, Sort of like the lazy, laconic, morose, you know, acerbic uh, character. Like, there's none of that in Cho's performance at all, in my opinion. No, he's he's much more like angry, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a really odd thing. I mean, part of the problem I think is that I imagine he signed on interested in giving a performance closer to the anime character. And then basically the creators were like, no, we're going to have you play a new character. Mm -hmm. It's just odd. Like they made the creative decision to have it that Jet didn't know that he was part of the syndicate. So that's like a secret that he's Uh, hiding from him. He's hiding from him. It essentially like compounds itself and frays their friendship over the course of the series to the point where by the end of it, they're like not even speaking to each other and Mm. they just don't trust each other at all. And I just contrast that with like the Jet Spike dynamic in like Jupiter Jazz where Jet is doing this whole very rehearsed tirade of yep. don't come back there won't be yep. a place for you yeah. and Spike is just like smiling through the whole thing he's just like mm-hmm. I gotta just let him like get this out and even yep. he like clearly doesn't feel it. it's such a great way to illustrate how deep their friendship is that they yeah. have this dynamic and it's so well worn between the two of them yeah, they're like a total married couple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's like the relationships on the live action show are much more volatile because I think they wanted to really pump the drama and pump the serialized narrative in every single episode. And instead, it just creates these characters who are kind of miserable and yeah. who are so wrapped up in their own trauma that they're not fun hangs in any no. way. No, yeah. or interesting hangs. And again, I yeah. think, yeah, Mustafa Shakir, I thought he was fantastic. He was actually channeling. He's actually channeling. Even exactly. Though the writing wasn't mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. definitely felt like, oh, he's bringing a little bit of what the character was like in the mm-hmm. original on screen, yeah. for sure. The whole Vicious and Julia thing is the worst part of it, too. And oh, so boy. much of the yeah, show. No. Yeah, like, no by way. the end of it, the show is half Vicious and Julia scenes. And it's it's just about, like, their weird abusive relationship and him trying to climb the rungs of the mob. And the whole thing in the American version is that Vicious is this incredibly insecure, hair-trigger, incredibly violent person who is 
constantly feeling emasculated by everyone mm-hmm. around him. He's emasculated mm-hmm. by Julia. He's emasculated by his domineering father. And he's just like constantly wanting to like prove himself. And the way he does it is essentially by just going haywire and cutting a bunch of people's heads off. And that is so yeah, no. different from yeah, no way. the vicious of the show. I was just struck by that again, watching Jupiter Jazz. I'm like, the whole thing with Vicious and Spike is that Vicious doesn't care about Julia. He's no. dangling Julia in front of, front of Spike, Spike just mm-hmm. to torment Just to torture him. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. And he thinks he's pathetic. The yep. way that he can drop her name and Spike will come running. He's like, you're embarrassing yourself, mm-hmm. dude. And I remember the first time I saw those episodes, I was a little disappointed by how they resolved the cliffhanger, which now I don't really care anymore, especially like knowing what comes later. But the whole thing of, oh, they shot him with like a tranquilizer around to make some weird point. But now I get they're literally being like, you're not worth killing. We're not concerned about you. You're a rabid animal. We're going to tranquilize you and walk away. And... It's became so much more cutting on the rewatch. Just yep. how how much of a dick Vicious is, and how <laughs> how little he's ever worried about Spike. You know? Yeah, he really does not care. Yeah, he's not bothered yeah. about this. And that's yeah, so much more interesting. He's it is a, right. He's a much more powerful villain in the anime, and even if he has these kind of like edgelord lines of dialogue and he's so steeped in like a goth anime aesthetic. Just the fact that he conducts himself as this incredibly cold-hearted operator, it's it's still pretty fascinating to me. Of course, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Anyway, uh, we should probably talk about Toys in the Attic first before we get too <laughs> deep into Jupiter Jazz, my bad. But I mean, like my last word on the live action, it's just I was fascinated by how it consistently just face planted when it was trying to visually represent the anime and i think Mm. there was a lot of really bad directing in there but what struck me was that they just they move the camera so little on that show and it has this incredibly like affectless boring digital look Mm -hmm. and the way that they contribute style to it is basically just by having like canted angles all the time canted angles and then like uh some of like yoko kano's uh, soundtrack right right. that's about it but like just the lack of movement the the way that the compositions are also static and so bright and clean looking what it really reminded me of was a youtube fan film you know how when people on youtube recreate their favorite movies or their favorite shows or video games i think i know what you're about to say but go ahead yeah Yeah, it's like it's people who don't really know anything about uh, that's rude i don't know it's it's people who are less experienced in filmmaking than they are in just being like encyclopedically knowledgeable about a particular Mm -hmm. thing and so it's like i want to recreate every single image that's in my brain from this particular thing as just like a static tableau and it's just one after another of those Mm -hmm. and that's exactly how this that's exactly what they showed yeah i I, that is exactly how i felt i'm glad that you said that my thought was as i was watching it it was like oh this isn't quite and again i i don't want to sound 
I don't want to take too many people to task. Like, I don't want to just like completely dump all over it. We already have anyway, so I might as well just <laughs> yeah, say this. But it's like, yeah, okay, it's just sort of like I work in TV production, and it's incredibly hard. And so it's hard, people and people are doing so a lot hours. of they do, they do, they do. But like, but yeah. it did feel like okay, these this is a show made by someone who has watched a lot of Cowboy Bebop and is trying to create the static look of certain shots from the original as opposed to just trying to create a television show that looks good. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Or to recapture the mood or the energy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like the show is completely sapped of any real sort of energy or rhythm of its own because it's just trying to recreate these shots all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very tough watch. It is. I kind of regret doing it, but at the same time, I told you it's not also to. Like, yeah, I know. It just, as I said, it felt obligatory, <laughs> and in some ways, it was really instructive, just in terms oh, of like boy. what to never do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, did you you've seen the Ed scene, right? You watched that online, right? That was going around a lot. I didn't even get that far. <gasps> okay. I have no, no, no. You got to look it up right now. You got to look right now. Yes. All right. Hold just on. go to YouTube. Search. Search for the Ed scene. Yep, we're gonna watch this together. Okay. No, I don't. Oh. No, we we have to. We have to. We have to share in this pain. So I just type in Cowboy Bebop. Uh, just just type in Ed scene. It'll probably be your first hit. Let's see. I'm doing that right now too. Is Spike like walking in an alley? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one, play. He just fell over. Oh no! It's so, like it's just someone terrible. immediately should have said, "Oh, yeah, we we need to recalibrate yeah. this." Yep. I cannot believe. No. I mean, I I just I can't right. believe that. I can't watch the rest happened. of this. Yeah, no way. I know no way. it's 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 torturous. Literally. Yeah, it's no brutal way. to look at. It feels like it's just kind of like in a very generalized way, like mocking neurodiverse people too. Like if there's something yep. really uncomfortable, really about uncomfortable it. about that. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty awful. Uh, yeah. and that is the last scene of the series. Like that's the, that's the end of the last that's how it episode. Ends? That's him collapsing after the gunfight in Ballad of Fallen Angels, which is the, the finale. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Phil's speechless, everyone. He's he's just making a range of completely scandalized facial expressions, which are great for a podcast. Let's just move on. Yeah. Right. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, let's just move on. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Let's talk about what we like. Yeah. Let's talk about what we like. Let's talk yeah. about this Let's talk show, about what we like. Man, it's All right. so good. Oh. Oh. All right. All right. So we got Toys in the Attic, which was yeah. episode 11. Yes. Great episode. Um, felt like it was an homage to Ridley Scott's Alien. And yes. then I feel like 2017's life kind of piggybacked off of this specific <laughs> episode. Yeah, right? Like, I just remember seeing the ads for that uh, movie and just seeing that Alien insert itself into Ryan Reynolds' mouth. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I just remember yeah. being, like, really creeped out by that. You know, you know Life, the guy who directed Life, what who? his most recent project was? No. It was uh, the... Big screen adaptation of a little comic called Morbius the Living Vampire. No! No. Daniel Espinosa, that was his newest movie. No! No! Oh, no. No, we're talking about things we like. Right back in the I watched that movie. Oh, know. why did you? And that one I did not do for any sense of obligation. It was you did it for pleasure? Bent. You did it for pleasure? <laughs> it was for my own sick, <laughs> twisted pleasure, ladies and gentlemen. You uh, freak. I know. <laughs> I saw an amazing... There was like a meme of a letterboxed account going around, and it was literally just like Morbius one star logged and then the very next tile was morbius rewatched with five stars <laughs> i was just like that is dark oh, and hilarious yes. and that is a, just a whole ass mood right that there. is great oh man okay <laughs> five all right. star rewatch <laughs> it was a little that's bit, awesome that's yeah. funny all right no, here i had we a go. great yeah. time with that movie josh and i were just we were fucking rolling the whole time uh, just cracking up Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Toys in the Attic. Great episode. Revolves around. Is it the weirdest episode of Cowboy Bebop? I don't think so. It feels the most off format to me. It feels the most outside of the series formula, I think. It feels Okay, so this is interesting because in in most ways, I can kind of see what you're saying. It's not the oddest episode, but I think what you're saying is like it almost feels like a bottle episode. The whole thing is just in one space. Yeah, and it almost feels like it was written by a different writing team and then, like, mm. submitted to the production team and tweaked a little bit. It, All right. It just, to me, it feels like a totally different structure from any other episode. I mean, I guess part I get of it. it is the bottle episode thing. It's, like, one of the only episodes that's just on the ship with no bounty. And, it's and no extra characters. a real hangout episode i mean Mm -hmm. i think that's the part about it that's so good that's the part where i think anyone could say like yeah toys in the attic that's a weird little episode but it's one of my Mm -hmm. favorites because the crew's just hanging out you know they're just hanging out they're hanging out doing their own thing and then one by one um Mm -hmm. they're incapacitated by this like life form that is uh, on the ship um it's up to spike and edward to destroy this like gooey mass that's like scurrying around on the bebop um and then once they what do they burn it to death or did they inject eject it into uh no ed eats it that's ed the, eats that's it that's ending. right she that's right ed eats it at the end she's and, got an iron yeah. stomach yeah. oh god iron gut ed <laughs> oh 
Because it's the best. The alien in this is literally just uh, refrigerator mold. Refrigerated mold. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> mutated like space shrimp that's been left in like the refrigerator for like what seems like years. It's got to just be a mold that like or a fungus that's a fungus. Off it. Yeah, yeah. It was mm-hmm. just like he bought a lobster dinner and that's then left what it, it in the fridge for two yep. years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love that. That's the explanation. I know, yeah, it's, so it's not like a predator of any type. Yeah. It's just like, nah, you left something in your refrigerator for way too long, my guy. And I love how scary and alien the inside mm-hmm. of the fridge is, and it yeah. doesn't even open <laughs> it all the way. It's so foul. Yeah, it is awesome. so disturbing. Uh, uh, it's great. It just reminds me of um, God. Like there was a time when I was living in this it was while i was still in college but i was living in a house just off of campus and uh we had this fridge in the basement and there was a watermelon in it that (laughs) had just been left for months and at some point a person who was over during a party opened the fridge i hadn't (laughs) opened it in so long i was afraid to even see what it looked like in there at that point and someone opened the fridge and closed it again really fast and uh i was like oh yeah somebody left a watermelon in there and they were like that's a watermelon and i was like oh my god oh my god what what is happening in this fridge and we finally saw it and it was literally just filled with like black slime like the, oh, it had completely disintegrated gross gross uh, gross gross i yeah. did i yeah i've done yeah i i've been there before yeah, not I mean, to that not with that large a uh <laughs> piece of produce but it was such uh, yeah a i've done it myself scary thing where it was like yeah, it we is. left this too long and we just can't even like yeah we can't approach it, it now <laughs> yeah we can't exactly. approach this it's become unspeakable <laughs> it really is it's an eldritch it's horror <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah so yeah toys in the attic great episode i like it yeah. it's a good standalone i love spike's fight with the alien life form it's so mm-hmm. funny how it's like this just a really casual, silly little bottle episode where the stakes really aren't actually that high. No. They, they leave the end of the episode with everyone sort of floating in limbo and they could be dead. And then immediately right. on the like next episode animation, Ed comes in and is like making fun of that. Just making yeah. fun of that expectation. She's like, yes, everybody died. That was the yeah. last episode. There will yeah, never be right. any more. There will never be another. Yeah. It's really funny. Oh, uh, it's great. How they just like immediately poke the air out of that balloon uh, but um yeah i just i just love how in the middle of all that there's this really great action sequence where he's up in the sort of like air duct mm-hmm. you know up in the ceiling fighting mm-hmm. with that alien creature and mm-hmm. it's like the animation's incredible it's great <laughs> yeah. it's great so i'm gonna skip i'm gonna skip to uh, bohemian rhapsody because okay. i feel like we That's might a have a lot call. to say about jupiter That's jacks um yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah bohemian rhapsody Another good, like, Bounty of the Week episode. Um, So you've got uh, the Bebop crew essentially trying to find a mysterious saboteur who has been hiking uh, Hypergate tolls. Ed, meanwhile, is, like, has discovered their love of chess and has discovered, like, the perfect opponent. Um, And they've got this ongoing, like, cat and mouse game of chess going on the Bebop. Um, Spike and Faye, they go basically into a deep space junkyard slash like skid row for like societal outcasts. And I think I mentioned this on the last recording where I I really liked that environment. I really liked that aesthetic. It was like, Oh man, there's just like, 
this group of people hanging out in like space wreckage um, away from society, away from any of the planets, away from any of the moons, any of the stuff that you'd seen before. And I was like, this is really cool. Everyone is like either drunk, like high on some type of substance, or they're just like just bumming their life away. Just like this is their every day. Um, and yeah, I thought that was just a cool thing like to throw. A commune. Like it's a commune, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have animals in there. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is a bunch of people where it's like, if we go out here, no one's going to bother us. No one's going to find us. We can just us. do yep. our thing. Yeah. Yep. It's great. Yeah. Loved it. Um, so amongst, like, yeah, this this commune, this sort of, like, skid row, uh, they find uh, Chessmaster Hex, who is a chess-loving octogenarian, and he is exacting revenge against the corporation that fired him when he was whistleblowing, like, 50 years uh, earlier um, about the dangers of the Hypergate. Um, and so he they, I, they don't even arrest him. I think they're essentially... They choose to allow him to be. Um, they let him be, um, and they just ask, what did they... They go back to the corporation and just basically say that they want him to be left alone. Jet comes upon a bunch of information that Chessmaster Hex had at some point and essentially has just forgotten about because he's right. in late stages of dementia. Dementia. And he, he doesn't in any way remember uh, His vendetta. what he was, he was doing, his whole mm-hmm. mission of revenge to begin with. Mm-hmm. But essentially, he had worked on the hypergates uh, before they were actually built, and he had objections relating to safety. The corporation essentially ignored him, fired him, built the gates anyway, and then the gate accident happened destroyed the moon destroyed, destroyed the moon earth yeah. yep and uh that was all essentially preventable and it was just corporate greed run amok and yep. uh yeah, it, yeah it's extremely relatable to how oh absolutely you know, corporations have destroyed our world in the present yep <laughs> uh, oh. but uh yeah so that that's a cool little little beat and then jet kind of is able to blackmail them with that into leaving him alone and essentially that's not right collecting that's right mm-hmm. and i i thought that was interesting just in that it's planting a flag in terms of how the bebop crew doesn't care about some great truth getting out they're not going to become no. crusaders for oh you know we need to take down this corporation because they've been lying it's so they're just trying to exist man. they're just trying to you exist know? and, and make like, some money yeah and, and not eat bell peppers it is. and it's beef like, yeah 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 they're they're like None of this is going to help us in the present yep. term. Yep. You know, we're just trying to exist and survive. And so yeah. they, they just go on about their way. I do think, because um, I think last time we talked about our favorite tracks from the show, and I left off Piano Black that's oh, on that's uh, this episode, and it's so yes. good. Yeah. It's incredible. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is a really good ad episode, too. I love how, while everyone else is running around trying to solve the mystery of this bounty, Ed basically has already solved it. But she'd rather play this game. She'd rather <laughs> play chess with this guy. And that's so perfectly Ed's ethos the whole way through. Yes. Uh, chaotic good all the way. So cool. And yeah. at the end, Ed loses and the chess master dies happily. Yeah. And it's yeah. a really beautiful little grace note. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Great For episode. Sure. For sure. So we've got Jupiter Jazz. Yeah. I mean, what can you what can you say about this episode? It's incredible. So, Jupiter Jazz is an episode that is split into two parts. During the first part, you've got Faye who once again flees the Bebop 
and she hides out on the backwater moon of Callisto. She's taken a lot of money with her. So she's taken the whole Bebop's like savings. They're Which is actually money. not that much money. <laughs> it's not that much anyway. Yeah. And so like, I guess that's why she it's ended like up on Callisto. gas and a meal. Basically. Exactly. <laughs> it's $250. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Spike's enemy, Vicious, has been tasked with overseeing uh, a red-eye drug deal that's also occurring on Callisto. Spike has an argument with Jet because or he gets wind of the fact that there is going to be this deal and the code name Julia pops up. And that's the, is this the first time that we've actually heard the name and like sort of yeah. seen how like Spike responds to like, oh gosh, this name, this is person. She's just been flickers of flashbacks right. for him. And, and we that's have right. no context for it up until this yes. point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he hears that a person named Julie is going to be involved in this drug deal. He's like, oh, my God, I need to go find this person. Jed is like, what are you doing? This makes no sense. We need to make sure we find, like, our $250. <laughs> and so they have, yeah. <laughs> what about my $250? What about my 250 So, man. yeah, and then they decide that, like, they're going to split up. Uh, Jet heads after Faye, and Spike investigates the drug deal. Faye gets into some trouble on Callisto, and she uh, is rescued by this musician whose name is Grin. Grin seems familiar with Julia, seems to know who this person is, and they also have to, they also seem to have their own grudge against Vicious. And the episode ends with Spike and Vicious having a confrontation. Um, and again, uh, Vicious, he shoots Spike with a tranquilizer, but as you're watching it, like you think that perhaps Spike is dead. And so that's yeah. like the cliffhanger. He doesn't even shoot him. Uh, it's Shin, isn't it? Shin, who Shen. is essentially the guy who sent along with Vicious by the syndicate. That's right. To mm -hmm. protect the deal itself. Because something yes, that because we're they don't trust. let in on is that, yeah, mm -hmm. the syndicate don't trust doesn't Vicious. trust Vicious. The yeah. syndicate knows that Vicious would just as happily kill all of them and take mm -hmm. all of their profits and take mm -hmm. over. And yeah. so he's there and... That was such an interesting moment. The reason that Spike gets shot is because he remembers Shen from when he was in the syndicate. This guy was just a kid, and now he's fully in it. You know, he's mm -hmm. a, a capo or some lower-ranking, you know, uh, official. Spike just has that moment where he drops his gun, and he's like, man, I don't want to shoot you yeah. just because you're yeah. in the middle of our squabble. And it's it's another example kind of like with uh, Roko in that earlier episode right. with Katarina and Asimov mm -hmm. where Spike just sees an opportunity where this young person is going to die because they're caught up in the middle of you know his, his usual state of affairs mm -hmm. and uh mm -hmm. he's not willing to make that sacrifice himself mm -hmm. he's not willing to just shoot this kid and so he he ends up losing that encounter yeah the animation in this episode is absolutely amazing it's fantastic i think this might be at least from an animation perspective the best directed episode of cowboy bebop like I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. Every single shot is so mm -hmm. fluid and beautiful. There's this whole part where Spike gets into a fight with these thugs in an alleyway. Yeah. Oh, it's so well directed amazing. there. Yeah. Ah. And I, I think uh, my impression of the show is that the world building is top notch. And I yeah. think, again, just within like a few scenes, I loved how they were able to establish this sort of backwater, abandoned, 
middle of nowhere podunk town that feels like it's basically in the middle of like North Dakota. Yeah. And it's so cold. The it's fact so that it's cold. snowing all the time. Yeah. Along with that incredible track Space Lion, which we talked about again of course. last time. Yeah. Uh Space Lion just running through the whole thing. It's such an incredible mood. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, and the fact that uh, Gren's jazz club slash bar mm-hmm. where he plays the saxophone is so warmly lit. It's like yeah. this one bit of refuge in the whole planet, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's so good. So part two essentially yeah. picks up. I guess it's, it's immediately. So like there's no time in between. Like this is all like happening at the same time. You've got Gren who explains their reason for the grudge against Vicious and essentially says that two became close during a war on Titan. However, Gren was imprisoned for several years after Vicious, I think, sort of like ratted him out or betrayed him in some way. And so seeking revenge against Vicious, Gren has assumed Julia's identity to plan an ambush under the cover of a drug deal. Grin, he leaves Faye handcuffed, and Jet, he uh, he rescues her. And the episode climaxes with a dogfight on Callisto between Grin, who's been mortally wounded, a recently recovered Spike, and obviously Vicious. And it ends with Grin dying. Vicious escapes, but Spike is able to give Grin sort of like one last send-off back to Titan in their own spaceship. And that's how the episode ends. Yeah, it's another episode where it's just you feel this huge weight of loss where this character comes into it and is so fascinating. And then by the end of it, they're dead. Everyone essentially is walking away, you know, penniless and just a little, a little, you know, more broken, broken. Yeah. Yeah. This world. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gren's a very interesting character. He's we need to talk about Gren. Yeah. He's a like, veteran of this war that's very much like visually coded as Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And he's gay. I think the show is well, okay. pretty clear about that. You know, just from like, he says to Faye, uh, women aren't my style. And it feels very much like him being like, don't worry about it. I'm not attracted to you. I'm not going to Yep, I'm not going to even harm you. Like right. everyone else here. And that follows through the whole time. But also that essentially either the military or government at some point during his service started giving him hormone therapy, essentially Mm -hmm. HRT, to cause like a gender reassignment against his will. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that this is interesting. Yeah. For a number of reasons. And I think I'm going to like I will have to be very thoughtful and like concerning my words here, which is do you think that one grin and vicious were originally considered or maybe i'll put it this way that in the show it's hinted at that they're lovers that's number one i think it's definitely hinted at i think okay it seems pretty clear that gren was in love with Vicious. carried a torch for vicious right i don't think vicious had any has any particular feelings of love toward anyone towards anyone yeah, uh, yeah whether or not they had a sexual relationship i mean like you could kind of i feel like you can read that onto way. these two yeah i, think you I feel could. like i think you could yeah no and then like my second question is do you think that gren originally was created as a character that was trans but because of the network because of the fact that it was what 2000 2000 2001 98, 98. Yeah. do you think that like they just changed that because they thought that's that's too much for the time no i i 
honestly would imagine that the creators of this show didn't have the vocabulary or the full understanding of transgender people. I think Mm -hmm. transsexual was more the term at the time. Right. What it reminded me of was um, Alan Turing. Mm, Okay. Who was a gay man living, you know, in the closet. Uh, He, I believe, you know, had a a straight relationship sort of as a cover for him. Mm -hmm. He was uh, an incredibly important inventor who uh, built some of the first computers, the first like reasoning machines during World War II and also helped decode Nazi messages that essentially helped the Allies win the war. Mm-hmm. And after the war, because he was gay and he was I found see. out to okay. be gay, right. he was chemically, chemically castrated, castrated mm-hmm. by the British government and mm-hmm. given hormones that essentially caused uh, his body to undergo certain changes that are mm-hmm. similar to what happened to Gren. And he ended up committing suicide. Mm. And I, I feel like that story might have been what they were drafting okay. off of with this character okay. because okay. to me it's much more the sense that this is a character who didn't really fit in didn't find a place for himself but found some sense of peace mm-hmm. and the way that he dies at the end is very accepting you know because it's like he's kind of already been ruined by his experience in this war and now he's also had to endure this this treatment that's happened to his body that he had no control over and the character is very serene and very accepting of all these things at the same time and uh it in a way just makes it more tragic that it seems like Gren has such a that's the fate that they accepted yeah exactly Mm. they're so Mm -hmm. level-headed about everything and then they die anyway and it's just like oh geez you know yeah 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 it's tough. I, I, I watched it a couple of days ago, and I thought, like, I wondered whether or not this was a character that was originally written and created mm-hmm. as a character that was transgender and then had to, like, they had to shift something in order to make a backstory that perhaps would be a little bit more palatable for an audience in 1998. I don't know. But, yeah. Possibly, or I don't know. I mean, it it feels like they were definitely trying to make strides toward uh, some comment on gender and the malleability of gender and doing it in a character who is so humanized and sympathetic, I think was a big step forward. Because like early in the episode, uh, I was going to go there. There are these Mm -hmm. sex workers who are very much in a like over the top drag. Very coded as, yeah. Very flamboyant Mm -hmm. style. Mm -hmm. And, I think they're kind of put in there to, in a way, show that there are many different sides of um, gender fluidity in this particular place. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's clearly done with intention, having that and then having Gren. And as much as I cringed at the first moment, the second moment yeah. had me feeling like, no, this show was really trying to burrow deeper into issues of gender identity than... I think probably any other anime of the time. Yeah. And I guess the reason for my questioning is because we've already met Ed at this point, and Ed is clearly like very gender fluid. 
And so I thought, yeah, my thinking is like, well, yeah, perhaps they are trying to expand upon this world, maybe in the same like sense that you're getting at, which is there's multiple ways and, and multiple um, expresses of, of gender in the cowboy bebop universe as well. Maybe but, so. Yeah. Maybe so. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. It's a fascinating episode. I mean, not all of that stuff, I would say, holds up as like PC now. I mean, there's definitely, definitely not. stuff about it where you're like, yeah, this would not be approached in the same way today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's still very interesting. I'm just I'm really fascinated by Gren's character. And I think Gren yeah. is a character that was clearly approached at that time in a very thoughtful and intriguing manner, mm-hmm. I would argue. Yeah, one more thing I just wanted to say about that incredible fight in that alleyway. I was just struck by how um, it's maybe the first time we've seen Spike truly furious and being physical, mm-hmm. where it's like almost any other time he's either just like steely and confident or he's mm-hmm. being flippant and goofy while he's fighting yep. people and in this one it's just like pure rage there's a part where yeah. someone like is swinging a crowbar at him and he ducks it and it passes over his face and it's like he's still so agile and still so able to move his body with such like a perfect sort of command but here he's furious and you're like right wow spike is actually pretty fucking scary when he wants to be like you would not want to cross this dude when he's like bringing all of his anger to bear he really fucks those guys up yeah it's it's just such an awesome sequence i think it's also pretty interesting because it speaks to how he has not let his past like let it be he's not buried with his past he's not moved on from it he's still like attached to it like you said before like vicious is dangling the hint, just the hint of Julia in front of him like a carrot, and he's like off to the races, like yeah. beating up tons of people. He's like kind of lost his mind. Yeah. And I think that's interesting as well. It is. It is. It's like really I feel like I've said my piece about the live action show. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, but this version of Julia makes so much more sense to me as Spike being this kind of younger person who probably didn't have a lot of experience with real like relationships and who, you know, had this really intense connection to this older woman, which Mm -hmm. is definitely coded as, and hasn't been able to shake her and still has such a strong emotional connection. And it's like, you take that and you bring that over to the live action where it's like, Spike is a man in his late 40s, early 50s, something like that. And Julie is actually younger than him in that version. And he's so hung up on this girl who he had had like a fling with who had been dating his best friend three years ago. And he's like obsessed with her. And it just doesn't make as much sense. Not for a character with like his level of maturity, his life experience. It just doesn't make sense anymore to me. So I think, and I was as I was watching, <clears throat> yeah, I would say um, that Toys in the Attic is your bottle episode, and then you have Bohemian Rhapsody, Jupiter Jazz 1 and 2, and then we're not going to get the chance to talk about this episode today, but I even think the episode afterwards where it talks about Faye's backstory, I think those 1, 2, 3, 4 complete Five. like yeah. a... 
Oh, I see. Yeah, I would. Yeah, not counting, not yeah, counting yeah, yeah. Toys in the right, Accurate. Right. I think the following four are complete like a circuit on revenge, because mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, I mean, you've got Chessmaster Hex, mm-hmm. you've got both Grin and Spike hoping yeah. for revenge, and we'll get to the next episode and the next recording, um, which is about Faye exacting a certain amount of revenge on a past lover. Oh, that's so true. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's really intriguing. That's pretty cool. Oh, have you, when's the last time you saw uh, Blade Runner 2049? Um, been a while? It's been at least like six months. Okay. Yeah. I just thought the part where um, Gosling touches down in that junkyard planet and he mm-hmm. gets surrounded by like dudes in parkas with all different mm-hmm. weapons who try yeah. to beat him up. And I believe that's where love saves him with that like aerial bombardment. Yes. Visually, that feels so much like Jupiter Jazz. It does. The cloudy sky, uh-huh. the junkyard. It looks cool. I wonder cold. Yep. if that was a direct visual reference. I feel like it was. Okay. All right. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I wouldn't argue that. I think you, you could make it, yeah, you could make a good point that. Yeah. It was everyone's, um, like, very, like, brightly colored parkas in that, like, dingy space in particular yeah. that really, like, set it off for me. That whole know. movie. I mean, that actually, yeah. that whole movie kind of looks like the setting for Jupiter Jazz. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. yeah. It's a gross movie. <laughs> Just yeah. Actually, no, I mean, it's a good movie, but the, the settings are very well. They're, they're gross. Yeah, they make you feel bad. They make you sure. feel dingy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, any other thoughts on... Yeah, the episodes that we're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I love the music box motif that's come back a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's reminiscent of Waltz for Venus, which I feel like yeah. the show is definitely calling back to again and building upon. And then the music box also had been the theme that played over the very opening of the show where you get that first mm-hmm. scene of the gunfight that presumably gunfight. occurred when Spike left the syndicate and potentially yeah. like lost his eye as well. This is the first time they bring up how, you know, his eyes are two different colors. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just, I love that motif here of the music box. And I love that the last time it plays is when Gren has left it in Vicious's spaceship as a bomb. Yeah. 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 That's such a good moment. When he talks about the color of his eyes, doesn't he also say that one of his eyes is stuck in the past? Yeah, exactly. One of his eyes only sees the past. Only sees the past. Yeah, so this is a character who clearly has not moved on with his life and is stuck in, like, he's frozen. Yeah. He's frozen in time. Yeah, he's really kind of in a purgatory of his own making. Of his own making, yep. Because he can't move on. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like, it's not even, it's not an inherited trauma, which I feel like is such a staple of modern day storytelling. It's that he's, like, chosen to stay and to wallow in this past Mm -hmm. in this romance in this fractured friendship and you know he just doesn't really like value his present in the same way yeah it's clear exactly he's Mm -hmm. just kind of fucking around and it just brings him a little more into focus why he's so laconic why he doesn't take anything seriously and you realize kind of how sad he is it kind of is yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. 
Oh man, yeah. No, I'm glad show. we got a chance to. It's a good show. What <laughs> even just talking about it of these episodes is so <laughs> it's strong. so good. It's just I, indelible, man. It, even just talking about these, it makes me want to go back and watch Jupiter Jazz again. Again, I know. yeah, same, mm-hmm. same. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Callisto is just an amazing. It's an amazing setting landscape. Like maybe my favorite setting of the whole show. I, I think say. it might be mine. It yeah. might be mine. I mean, I, we still have a lot of uh, episodes to watch, but That's true. That's it's true. definitely uh, stands out for it's me. It's up there. Yeah. Do you know what time it is, right? Oh, yeah, man. All I'm right. Name an episode or two. Here All we right. go. All right. All Let's right. Here we go. Let's All right. So we got two. We got two. <laughs> we got two. <laughs> Always shortchanging me. Five. Uh, no. Let's do All two. Right, Let's see how All right. Okay. Name that episode. Mm. 2022. Here we go. Yeah. 2022 2022 (laughs) all right so this season one episode of the office Mm. sees the dunder mifflin crew struggling to keep it together amid rumors of downsizing dwight forms a partnership with jim and michael throws a birthday party for meredith even though her birthday is over a month away (laughs) oh man i remember this episode you said this is season one yeah. This is one of the six season one episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's, uh, I think, isn't one of the episodes just called Basketball? Yes. Yeah. it's. I, not, so. I know it's not mm-hmm. that. Nope. Um, I feel like it's not just called, like, Downsizing Day or something, is it? Uh, No, it's not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other episodes in season one. There's so few. Hmm. Hmm. Give me a little hint about it. So it's the fourth episode, fourth episode. and it's after oh. after healthcare, yeah. but before basketball. Right. Huh. And <laughs> yeah, but that's not a hint. <laughs> what? That is a hint. It's kind of a hint. Ah shit. It's a hint. I mean, what type of hint do you want? Just just a hint about what the episode's title refers to. Uh two words and it refers to um a bridging, a coming together of sorts. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. A partnership. No, I don't remember it at all, man. Shit. All right. Yeah. Okay. What is it? Giving up. What is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's called the, it's called the Alliance. No, I don't remember that at all as an office title. Oh. Weird. It okay. It doesn't sound like yeah. one. I got to be honest. It doesn't. Yeah. yeah. It was it first doesn't season, sound like though. They were still figuring shit out. They were. Yeah. yeah. Michael Scott... His weird look in season one, where he has the hair plugs, he looks yeah, like Richard Nixon, th- kind of. It's <laughs> really strange. It's strange, and I feel like uh, Steve Carell was trying to look more like Ricky Gervais. Yeah, no, as that's opposed to like doing. looking like totally. his own. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The show hadn't really found its voice as a, a separate. Not thing really. Yet. Yeah, season two is where yeah. it definitely yeah. steps things up. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. All right, here we go. Number two. The season six opener of Mad Men mm. is a two-parter during mm-hmm. which Don Draper reads Dante's Inferno. The Draper's doorman, Jonesy, suffers a heart attack, mm. and a man named Bob Benson introduces himself to uh, Bob Benson, SDCP. James Polk. Oh, yes. Or James Wolf mm-hmm. of, uh, of Lone Star. My beloved yeah. Lone mm-hmm. Star, bro. Lone Star, your favorite show. Oh, God. <laughs> Fucking brutal. Is this this is the episode two where um Betty Draper she's she's in this weird thing where she's in like a bunch of tenement homes, right? She's exploring yes. mm-hmm. this weird 
blighted New, urban downtown space. New York. Yeah, yeah, she. I think it's like an episode where Sally's friend um, discovers that she's not going to be able to go, get into Juilliard, and so she just decides to like run away and like join, you know, just a group of like dispossessed young people in a like blighted neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it? I think it's called the doorway, right? Yep. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Good job, dude. dude. Season six. It's so weird. It's like, it's probably the worst season. And yet some episodes like really stand out from it. The finale. I agree. Amazing, dude. It's so good. There's some really good ones. And then there's just sort of like, it feels like this is stinking a little bit. I guess it's just, it's it's not terrible. Sags in the middle kind of. It does. And it comes off of the heels of four and five. And four is like, well, we right. know how I feel You're about right. four. And, and five, five is, is definitely the one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. You got one more for me? Come on. Break the tie. No, I don't. Break nope, nope, tie. nope. Nope, nope, nope. Not, not doing, doing it. it. We'll do it next time, <laughs> That's though. That's fair. I held this recording up so long. You did. You did. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I'm in a different time zone. What could I say? There was time dilation going on, people. It was, it was out of my hands. Oh, gosh. Call a physicist. <laughs> no no my apologies no right, dude, you're good yeah so uh, uh yeah we'll be back uh soon in quotation marks with uh session four another uh awesome batch of episodes can't wait to talk about them can't wait to talk about mushroom samba dude that episode fucking oh rules. wow oh it's so good i'm glad you really like that first time i watched that episode i was like what is this <laughs> oh oh i see you had like a toys in yeah. the attic type reaction to i it. kinda did like, yeah i did this episode is just weird <laughs> This is, is wacky. It's so good, though. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Oh, right. man. Cool, man. This will be good. Well, uh, I just want to thank all of you for listening. We hope you will uh, follow, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I just want to thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork, Josh Sullivan for our intro music, and Battlequake for our outro. Please hit us up on our Instagram, at GoatSeasonPod, and we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.